save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. It's time to throw another log on the fire, campers. We've got a new story for you. I'm your co-host, Stevie Yoder, and with me, as always, is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Acker Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. Usually when a person goes missing, even if foul play is suspected, they technically remain a missing person until a body is found. That's not the case with Shailene Farrell, an 18-year-old woman from the Miami County city of Piqua who vanished without a trace 28 years ago. At the Piqua Police Department, she is an unsolved homicide. That's how confident law enforcement is that Shailene is not coming home alive. And while Shailene may never rest in the grave that her mother bought for her, just so she would have a place to visit and leave flowers, that doesn't mean police don't have a theory as to what happened that fateful day in 1994 and who they think is responsible. As we tell Shailene's story tonight, we have an extra resource at our disposal. Ohio Mysteries listener Tiffany Jamison, whose dad, Bruce Jamison, was a detective on the case and recently retired as Piqua's chief of police, picked his memories and shared with us some insights that have never been made public. This is the story of Shailene Farrell. Shailene Marie Farrell lived on Haverhill Drive with her family, three brothers and a sister, her mom, Darlene Farrell, and her mom's fiancé, Dwayne Childers. In August of 1994, she was just days away from starting her senior year at Piqua High School. Piqua, in West Central Ohio, is home to about 20,000 souls, It's quaint, small-town America, the kind with a charming downtown, historic buildings, a fierce sense of pride, 
a place where people know their neighbors. That doesn't mean teenagers don't go through the same temptations that their big city counterparts go through. Earlier that summer, Shay, that's what her friends and family called her, was caught by her mom smoking marijuana in the house. Darlene Farrell laid down the law. It was her house, her rules, and that meant no drugs. If Shay didn't like it, she could leave. So Shay left, in the way 18-year-olds often think crossing into adulthood means rules no longer apply and they'll be fine on their own. But Shay and her mom were close. Darlene was young, 36 years old. She was just 18 herself when she'd given birth to Shay, and at times the two women seemed more like best friends than mother and daughter. And so, even after Shay stubbornly packed a bag and moved in with a friend, she still called Mom four or five times a day. Though Shay had built up a rough exterior, she had a soft heart. Her family recalled the time she saw a man carrying a sign that said, We'll work for food. She cried all the way home, then loaded a grocery bag with canned foods and demanded her mother take her back. When she insisted she would walk if her mom didn't, Darlene relented, and they drove to where the man had been, though he was gone. As the summer of 1994 waned and the school year inched closer, Darlene and Shay made up, and Shay moved back home to Haverhill Drive. On August the 8th, Shay had only been back a couple of weeks when her mom had to leave town. Darlene's mom, in New Jersey, had had a bad fall and needed some help recovering. The eldest, Shay was expected to help look after her siblings at home. Three of the feral kids were old enough to care for themselves. Two younger brothers needed an extra eye. But Shay wanted to spend time with her friends, and she had access to her mom's car. So about 10 in the morning, Shay told her 14-year-old sister Colleen she was going to run down to the pick-and-save on Covington Avenue to grab her favorite drink, a lemon-flavored Lipton iced tea. She threw on a pair of blue Piqua High School shorts, her brother Michael's t-shirt with the words, No Fear, and slipped on some black sandals. Police now think maybe that was really an excuse. That Shay wasn't really after a drink, as much as wanting to use the payphone to arrange an activity with her pals. You see, nobody in the grocery store ever saw Shay come in that morning, and they would have recognized her. She'd gotten a job there just two weeks earlier and was a part-time cashier. So Shay apparently vanished from the parking lot. It's possible someone driving by kidnapped her, maybe pulled a gun and forced her into a car, but police think it more likely that Shay either reached some friends or maybe acquaintances passing by called to her, and she willingly went off to have some fun. Back home on Haverhill, nobody was panicking yet, not even when someone from the pick-and-save called looking for Shay because she failed to show up for her 7 p.m. shift. Dwayne Childers, 
Shay's soon-to-be stepfather, figured Shay was out having too good a time to stop for work, and so he left for his own third-shift job. It wasn't until Tuesday morning when he returned home and learned Shay had never come back that he started calling Shay's friends. No one had seen her for 24 hours. Childers called the police while Darlene Farrell hurried back home from New Jersey. There was no mystery as to the whereabouts of the car. The silver 1981 Chevrolet Malibu station wagon that Shay had been driving was in the parking lot of the pick-and-save, windows down on that warm summer day, but no sign of Shay at the scene. Initially, investigators wondered if Shay had simply left home voluntarily, run away. There had been that spat with her mother. Maybe there was more. But her family and friends insisted that wasn't possible. She never talked about running away, not even to her best friend. Besides, who runs away with no money, no clothes, no purse, no ID? Police pretty quickly agreed, but they were stumped. A couple of months later, Piqua police admitted they were at a dead end. They had conducted numerous interviews and followed every lead from the dozens of phone calls that came in. They raided a trailer home after hearing she had been seen there, but there was no evidence of that. People thought they saw her in a car being driven down I-75, but there was no way to confirm that. The city had four detectives, and they were all on the case. She, Philip Potter, said, We're at the point that without someone coming forward with new information, it will be very difficult to close the case. Her family campaigned to keep the case in the public eye. They plastered the county with pamphlets bearing Shay's photograph. The classes at Piqua High School started without her. Her senior class counselor, Sam Graves, told reporters he had known Shay for four years. The last conversation she and I had, he said, she was looking forward to coming back to school. She showed an interest in going into education and in possibly becoming a teacher. Later in the school year, Pequa High planted a tree in her memory. In March of 1995, Shay's family was desperate for some sense of closure. They arranged a memorial service for her and ran an obituary in the local paper. Although there was no body, and police said they had no evidence she was dead. They purchased a grave site. I want to be able to put flowers on her grave, Darlene said. Darlene Farrell joined the mothers of three other missing children and formed a support group. One year after Shay's disappearance, they announced plans for a nonprofit called Vanish to try and raise reward money and offer support to families who shared their tragic fraternity. Darlene admitted she was crushed that there wasn't initially more public interest in her daughter's case. A year later, she watched as the airy rallied in the case of a missing four-year-old and wondered where everyone was when her daughter didn't come home. Deep down inside, I was hurt, she told a reporter, 
I had the feeling that if people would have helped one-tenth of that, maybe they would have found my daughter. I couldn't even get people to help me to hand out flyers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The case faded from public view as the months went on, but the police never stopped looking. A year after Shay's disappearance, Detective Bruce Chamison was on the case, and the investigation took a turn. That first year, there had been a narrow focus on one possible suspect, a family friend, but in the end, he was cleared. That's when police honed in on two new suspects, a pair of ex-cons who remain at the top of their list today. One was a known drug dealer, the other a man with a history of assaults. Shay wasn't their friend, but they knew each other and ran in the same circles. The two men had been in and out of prison several times, and they were in jail when Detective Jamison paid them a visit. They never admitted to having been involved with Shay's disappearance, but Jamison came away from those interviews confident had found his killers. The new theory was that that day back in 1994 didn't start out with ill intent, but that Shay had willingly gone with them from that parking lot, probably expecting to see her friends. A sexual assault may have been attempted or taken place. Maybe Shay threatened to tell. Maybe someone hit her. Maybe she was killed accidentally. The theory was that it might have been at a farm near Union City, Ohio, along the Ohio-Indiana border, a place known for drug activity located near some abandoned railroad tracks, and that Shay might have been buried there. At least one of the two men had threatened other women in the area with statements like, I'm going to do to you what I did to Shailene. To Jamison, the guy who said those things even admitted he'd made the statements, but that it was just a scare tactic. At one point, willing to try every strategy available to them, investigators spoke with a psychic who told them about visualizing two men a farm near Union City, some abandoned railroad tracks, and a shallow grave. Since that tip had never been made public, it seemed to police to validate what they thought they already knew. And so, in 1998, Piqua asked to borrow a special cadaver dog that another city had brought in all the way from Portland, Oregon, for an unrelated case. They took her to Union City. The special dog, her name was Valerie, was given articles of Shay's clothing and, incredibly, appeared to pick up her scent on the farm. 
Piqua police returned to the site later with shovels and rakes, and they sifted through the dirt along the edge of the field. But they turned up nothing. Chief Potter acknowledged the area in question was big and likened it to hunting for a needle in a haystack. Not having a crime scene made this an especially challenging case for police. Because their two top suspects had no permanent address and appeared to stay in numerous locations when they were out of prison, it was hard to narrow down an address to search. At one point, they did follow up on a lead that one of the suspects had been seen with boots that had blood on them. And investigators located the boots at the home of a woman one of the men had stayed with. But the blood turned out to be from an animal, and the suspect admitted he'd kicked a dog to death. There was a time investigators wondered if they had gone down a rabbit hole. Just as that first year had been wasted on the wrong initial suspect, they feared they might have generated some bias in favor of these two new suspects. They would find other detectives, ask them to read through the interviews and look at the documents, and come up with their own conclusions with no guidance. Every time, the investigators came back to the same two men. But without physical evidence, or a confession, or frankly, even a body, there was never enough to take to a jury. On the internet, Shailene Farrell is often listed as a possible victim of a serial killer. Some have tried to tie her to Christopher Bello, a suspect in several murders and disappearances of young women, though he is serving time only for the involuntary manslaughter of one. Then there was Larry Dwayne Hall, a truck driver who would cruise the Indiana and Ohio line looking for vulnerable women in the 80s and 90s. He was eventually jailed for one murder, but is a suspect in 40 others. A third option was Lawrence Michael Hensley, convicted of four murders and suspected of others. Hensley killed himself in prison, but not before writing Detective Jamison in Piqua to tell him, in cryptic language, that he could have helped him solve the Shailene Farrell case. But Hensley liked to take responsibility for things he couldn't have done and is not considered a strong suspect. Piqua police won't rule out anyone, but they really don't think Shailene was picked up by a serial killer in the pick-and-save parking lot that morning. For years after being assigned the case, Detective Jamison would drive to that farm field near Union City. If Shailene was buried there, she would have fertilized the ground. He hoped he might spot a six-foot-long stretch of field that looked much more lush than anything else around it. He never did. Then again, Jamison thought his two top suspects were lazy men. They would have put Shay in a shallow grave, where animals could have reached and disposed of her, scattered her remains, and taken parts to their dens. Shailene was five foot three and weighed 135 pounds. She had dark brown hair 
hazel eyes, pierced ears, and a brown-colored mole under her lower lip. She had a birthmark on her left thigh above her knee and a scar on her right leg above her knee. She was wearing those blue shorts, a white t-shirt, and black sandals. The keychain she carried would have had five keys on it and a blue sapphire and diamond heart-shaped key ring. If you have any information that can help with this case, Piqua Police can be reached via Crime Stoppers at 937-615-8477. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com, and we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.